Hey, what's up, people? This portion of the podcast is brought to you by NY Varsity Sports. That's me. That's me, the NYV. NY Varsity Sports, watching me, watching you. It's also brought to you by Beach Volleyball National Events. It's the greatest uh, get notice showcase in the United States of America. We're in Florida. We're in Georgia. We're in Colorado. We're home-based in California. So if your kids play beach volleyball, tell your mother, tell your father, tell your club coach. Send a telegram. We have as many as 22 to 25 beach volleyball NCAA recruiters come out and watch the kids showcase their talent. Beach Volleyball National Events, a family that plays together, stays together. Got episode 57, got Call France, introducing Call France, and the episode starts right now. Wow, that was loud. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, <laughs> you people, right, kind of blew us away. So listen, you people of Ask and I and I Deliver, because on my end, this is episode 57 of the Option Podcast, and I got to give the people, give the people what they want. Coach, Carl, Franz, what's good, brother? How are you, sir? How are you? It's always great to see another New Yorker. Yeah, no doubt, man. God, I can imagine... Um, <laughs> Every time I talk to someone that lives in New York now, I always think about when COVID hit and how it was like kind of this ground zero. But then um, at least I'm reading right now. It seems like some things are turning back to normal. I mean, everyone's still wearing a mask, but you got kids walking their dogs. You know, little dogs are still fighting the big dogs in Central Park, you know, <laughs> right? You still got um, people trying to find ways to play beach volleyball, which as far as social distancing is concerned and, um, and an exercise sport seems safer than most. So um, what, what are your thoughts as far as, I don't even know if normal is the word to use. How, how much have you progressed from one phase to the other in the New York, New Jersey area? Um, and thank you for having me. I think there's a couple of different things that people need to understand. And one of them is, is that being in New York, we understand that most of us who are native New Yorkers, like I am, um, we understand that we are the epicenter for a lot of stuff with the financial capital of the world. A lot of people think that as New York goes, the rest of the country goes, you know, with, with little exception from Chicago and LA. And, um, we understand that. So, um, to take it back a little bit further, I was I was around at 9-11 and I wrote a little little piece on and I shared it with a lot of people on Facebook and and uh, Instagram and all that stuff about what I did that day and how it affected me and affected the rest of the, the rest of my life. And basically what I'm saying is, is that we just persevere. We just keep moving on. We keep moving forward. So when this happened, um, hey, you're going to telework. You're not going to work from. You're not going to work from your office. You're not allowed to come in. That was what the NYU idea was. And since we have a hospital with within our university, it's like we got to follow what the what the medical people tell us. And I have not been to my office um, since March 16th. I have been to campus uh, three times, and. That's how it's going to be. But I think that people are starting to move around. But we got hit severely. Uh, I won't say we were the first group because obviously there was a pocket of people in in uh, Seattle, in the Washington state area. But it got it got 
we got hit hard here because I think there's a lot of uh, other issues that underlie the population of New York City, which is the people that are not wealthy, the people had, that, that are not healthy or wealthy um, got this and could not fight this. Uh, the people that were um, that were coming into the country on visiting and they were trying to leave, those people got caught. And since we have so many black and brown people um, in New York City that work the third, second, third shift, overnight shifts, that's not the easiest thing for them. Um, so I think we got hit hard. And then when our the great governor Cuomo decided to put all these people in nursing homes, um, that was another blip on a, a, a real problem for everybody in the, in the tri-state area. But everybody persevered. I, I hope that uh, we can move forward as a, as a community, but it's going to be a long time before I think New York City gets back to what it was. It'll be a, a whole new place. Uh, New York City, Jersey City, Hoboken, uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, all of it's going to be a whole different thing. Yeah, Harlem. Yeah. Um, Harlem, Harlem, is, Harlem has got a real big problem because what happened, and I think, Jason, you can understand this. Yeah, is I that, lived there for 10 years. Oh, well, here's the best part is that, oh, we're going to let all these low-level uh, offenders get out of jail. Well, you let them out of jail, where do they go? So that was a real issue that nobody had anywhere to go. And I saw that in Jersey City where I just saw all of a sudden people with winter coats on and it's May. And I'm like, wait, what's uh oh, we got some things going on here. And those are things that um, as a community, we had, I mean, everybody had to pitch in and do their part. So it's been very eerie for the first two months. And then after that, once summer hit and now it's fall, every, there's a new set of problems, which is when do we go to school? Your high school, the high school that you used to coach at, those kids aren't in school yet. They don't go back until October. Oh, Hunter? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's um, unbelievable. Unbelievable stuff. It, it is unbelievable, and, and to me, that the like I said, the return to normalcy is, I think, subjected to the community. Right when COVID hit, uh, Carl, I was like, you know what? The beginning of this, when it hits New York, it's going to be indiscriminate because in New York, even the millionaires are living on top of each other. Yeah, you, yes. you know, you yes. uh, you you live in these nice apartments, and as huge as they are, they're they're living on top of each other. So at some point, you got to leave your apartment. You got to send someone to the store, and and I mean, maybe you have enough money to be a, a shut in, but it's very, very, very difficult for people to move mm -hmm. around without catching it. But um, like you said, yeah. how it infected affected poor people is where it started to hit more home because at least the millionaires or the the upper echelon. If they need to get the hell out of New York City, they they have a they got a place in the Hamptons, you know they got a place in upstate New York. They're gonna drive out there, and they're probably thinking, okay, this isn't gonna be over for a while, so let me just hunker down here. And you know, if you live in Harlem like I did or whatever, it's all right, cool. I'm gonna go to um, I'm gonna go to shit. <laughs> Where do I go? So so um, so um. Yeah, I certainly appreciate it. Bernard, one of my closest friends, and wound up with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And when he went when he went to Harlem Hospital, I just went, "Oh man, this dude's dead." <laughs> I said, "He ain't coming back." You could go to Harlem yeah, Hospital, yeah, yeah. dude. You could go to Harlem Hospital with with a dumb dumb wound on your knee and die. <laughs> you know what the hell you think okay. COVID's gonna do to you? Okay. So, 
It was, I, I, my heart, uh, I live in Hermosa Beach, but my heart beats for New York City. And um, right. and as you know, I'm not that far removed from, um, and will never be removed from keeping longtime friends, uh, longtime associates, right. longtime acquaintances. So which are, which is included, but definitely de not limited to, but definitely including you. Um, for the people listening to the podcast, didn't do a full introduction. Carl Franz is the uh, longtime assistant coach at NYU. Um, he, his coaching experience, I mean, you're going to have to look up most of this, but I'll give you a brief synopsis, spent some time, cut his teeth at Mount St. Vincent. Um, that I'll call that, that I call that the back in the day stuff. Um, that's when I was too, right? I mean, I was at city tech with Chi, um, you know, yeah, pa yeah, Patrick, yeah, yeah. Patrick helped carry my team for two years. And then I had, you know, and from there, I, I really, I mean, Carl, I wasn't, I can coach. I knew X's and O's, but I wasn't a real coach back then. I just wasn't, you know, did I know how to right. play? Did I know how to line up people? Did I know how to run plays? No, but in, uh, did I, but I didn't have the experience in running plays and associated to what the other team's best at defending. And I wasn't a right. good coach in, in relation to making adjustments on, on how people were penetrating my blocking and defensive schemes. And the most important thing, the controllables like serve to space, which really is the game, right. <laughs> no matter what level. So, so I speak for both of us. You were a head coach. You had Mount St. Vincent. We were kind of, kind of both cutting our teeth. Yeah. You spent some time at Rutgers. You were there for four years, highly competitive D1 program, and, and always, yeah. in the, always in the mix at EIVA. So this is a, a pulse or, or a navigation to people who – who were like, who the F is Carl? That's that's who Carl is right now. He's um an assistant back back with his brother from another mother, Jose um Pena at NYU. And um yeah. and that's where I was um uh having a segue to this conversation to go to. Where where were you and your team when your conference, if not the NCAA division three, um, but maybe your conference <laughs> said, Boys, it's over. We're shutting it down, season's done we kind of figured out that once we finished our match, once we were driving up to New Paltz to play them, um, an important conference match, we, we had lost two matches up in that point. We were ranked number one in the country early in February. Yeah. We, beat, we swept Springfield for the first time in many, many moons. And a sweep and, is an anomaly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, it, yeah. You don't usually just go into Springfield and win. So the sweep was just a kind of an astronomical thing for us. And, so we, we were number one, we lost Stevens, uh, oh, we beat Stevens, and then it was a very good week until, until everything started. We started bubbling up, and we have friends in Europe, we have friends in Asia, so we knew that something was coming. Um, people started wearing more gloves on the, on the uh, trains, so they weren't holding the poles the same way. They were holding them with paper towels around their hands, so we knew something was coming. So the next thing we knew was we have to go to a different we have to go to a different cycle and our school was starting to talk about it and our ats and our medical program was starting to talk about it so we knew we were going up to new Paltz was probably going to be our last game and the warnings were like hey don't shake hands don't do this don't do that and i'm like i've known i've known these i've known tony Benia, and i've known the i've known uh those those coaches up there at new Paltz forever we're going to hug it out. We win or lose, we're going to hug it out. So we got to a fifth step, and we lost in five. And on the way home, I was like, that might be it. And yeah. when we got home, that was it. We did not play another game. Um, I think we found out on – gosh, I'd like to say we found out on 
that was Wednesday, so I think we find out Thursday. We mobilized our team. We had a team dinner on Friday, the 13th. And as we're having that team dinner, we realized that all the NCAA basketball tournaments were being canceled. Like, done. See ya. And I like, oh, I guess, I guess we're really done. So yeah, you're like, we're definitely um, next. So we had we had dinner, we had lunch on the 13th. We said goodbye. And I have not seen my team since. Um, it's now September 26th or 25th. I've not seen my I have not seen my team since. No. Have you been in um, con uh, communication or Jose Pena with your team? Yeah, Jose has been in contact with them a lot. I've We've had a couple of Zoom calls. We are getting our team ready for 2021 season uh, by having the medical people meet, the academic people meet with them. So right now, half of our team is here. A lot, like six or seven guys are still at home. Um, so... We'll see if we have a season, these guys will fly back in and we'll start up in January or whenever we're allowed to start. But as of now, we're just we're just waiting and preparing for a possible 2021. season. Yeah, he a um, lot of stories. I wanted to make sure I asked you that question. I had Dane on the podcast and I asked him and okay. um, I think he was he was on his way, I think, to South Carolina or at Florida State. They had like an invitational and um Sure. And they were like, nope, you're not doing it. You know, um, I asked John Mayer the same question. He's, um, I was with him at right. LMU. I, I ended up leaving because I got a really good commentating job um, for P1440. I was calling all the Pepperdine's home games. So, and oh, okay. coaching cool. and commentating was really what I wanted to do. My use, right. use, I, use my runny mouth. You can use, you know, put this gift of gab to good use. And, and that worked out great. You know, I got nothing but great feedback. You know, people sending me messages on Facebook or tap me on the shoulder like my my daughter's listening to you in Wisconsin. You're hilarious. But John um, said he was on his way to GCU and they had to, he had to negotiate getting his players off the plane <laughs> because they found out the game, everything was canceled and they're like, okay, we're then we're we got to get up. We're not flying there for nothing. So so I I had to ask you because there's always going to be one or two intriguing stories of course patrick deets you know he's coaching club and patrick yeah, talk sure. about brothers from another mother you know right <laughs> yeah, he's, talk, um, patrick and i haven't talked mm -hmm. lately but um i do know two things one of them is is that the usa volleyball arm teams are i mean they they've announced tournaments for boys and girls they've announced these tournaments they, they said here are the dates and i know club directors who have already signed up their their players to stay overnight at these places and i'm going okay well that's it's like, good how? <laughs> i'm like but is that not is that non-refundable or refundable because i can't see how you can do this without just blind faith that this is gonna this event's gonna happen um and then the same thing is that i think a lot of people don't understand how this college thing works is that you're supposed to get tested you know, a certain time before the match and all these kind of things. How many Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three schools have the financial capability to test their student athletes? The majority, the if, majority, not, not, not the majority, no. Right, and then if you test your student athletes, what about the other people who are paying full boat to go to school there and they're not getting tested? That's a really bad look at the Division Three level, especially. So it's 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 a very slippery slope to think that Division three is going to play anything if they can't test all of their student body. 
Yeah. And to me, that's where it comes from. I think at this point, we are more than a half a year into this thing. They wanted to, you know, flatten the curve and this and this. And this is my my just objective perspective. I think we have the means. I uh, this We as a collective country have the finance and the means to get everybody tested. Right now in California, in California, they, they were... Um, Newsom was having it, having everyone tested, then they changed up. And then they were just like, okay, there are tiers of essential personnel that get to get tested. And I'm like, that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I, I have a huge, huge problem with that because they are the first ones to tell you that you can be asymptomatic and still have it. You can have none of the symptoms and still have it. So, so if I want to get tested... And you're asking me, oh, do I have a fever? Do I have a cough? Do I have shortness of breath? Uh, oh, then you, then you can't get tested. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're, you just told me that I can have none of those things and still have it. So the, for me, if they want you to pay for a vaccine, Carl, you know, yeah. they want you to pay for it, right? We got the, we got, we got the disease for free, all right? We, we, ain't pay for, we ain't pay for this disease. They gave that shit to us free of charge, okay? But, but if they want you to pay for a vaccine, which I don't have a problem with. Some of my friends don't want, you know, want the vaccine, but, but to me, it's, it's important. But if you want us to pay for a vaccine for, that may or may not work for only one of the three strains, and if you could afford to make the vaccine and you could afford, and if, and if you're getting a profit, from the vaccine because the government right now is financing the manufacturing of the vaccine. So the, yeah. and, and the pharmaceuticals are going to get them are going to get more, uh, don't have to pay the government back and are going to get more money. So if you think we're supposed to get a vaccine that may or may not work and you make money off of it and you say you don't have the money or the means to do testing kits, I call BS. And, and, and this is, and it's connected to what we're talking about. Everyone's this yeah. whole division three thing and they can't afford it. It should, Right now, there should be some method of testing for everyone, especially they want kids to go back to school. How about if how about move students up, whether a high school or college or whatever? How about have students as a central priority? Right. How about stop testing millionaires and billionaires three, five times a week who 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 don't even who can exercise the option to stay home? (laughs) They don't even right. They don't even have to go. (laughs) So, yeah, it's, it's absolutely insane. You're right. LeBron right. James is getting, I mean, look, the NBA can afford the bubble. And at the end of the day, somehow, someway, capitalism is always going to win money talks and BS walks. So right. for for them to create a bubble with 354 players and no positive test, they set the standard and showed the United States that we can create a quarantine to quarantine Right. Uh, Tim Tebow actually argued with the SEC and what they're able to afford. Students are actually safer playing football <laughs> from COVID than they are, than they right, are not. He made right. a, I, I, I'm not, I'm not ready to make that argument. I just don't have the, you know, I mean, when someone drops that in your lap and you don't have any, any data or anything that's to support or refute that. So, I mean, that's the first take thing. So, um, yeah, just, just, just weird. So the thing I liked about NYU and I'm going to get back to NYU. Oh my gosh. You are always at the scene of the crime when they're having good seasons. Like this season alone, they were twelve and uh, twelve wins in a row. I think is a school record, right? Uh, it might be. It might be. I haven't looked, but yeah, I. I'll, I I'll think. Take um, your word for it. I believe it was because if you consider NYU's schedule, 
and this is going all the way back to 1994 when I was at Hunter College for a cup of coffee. Uh, I, I was yeah, there yeah, yeah. for a semester and then whatever. I went back to Marymount. Richie Mercado. Um, yeah, I get it. I get no, it. Oh, no, 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 no. Bill Anderson. Oh, that's right. Notre Dame. He went to Notre Dame. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, Notre Dame and then ended up becoming Ball's assistant at IPFW. Um, right. But no, but that was Greg Romulus as Danny Moy. Oh, Greg coached you. Yeah. Okay. It yeah, was yeah, Bill yeah. Anderson, okay. Bill Anderson, and Subash, and it was um, right, right, and it was that. Greg Romulus, David May, Danny Moy, uh, good team, Justin Stack, because Justin, if you yeah. remember, Justin, freshman year, then disappeared for five years and came back, you know, in the two thousands to finish, but his freshman year remember. was nineteen ninety four. In fact, you know what, you know what I got right here? I think I, I'm gonna zoom on this picture. I got a camera. Watch this. Right. Uh, I wish I could zoom in. There it is. That's the picture of all of us. Oh my! Yeah, that's that, um. Well, the, the H is there, that's for sure. But that's a good. Yeah. Those guys, cool. I played with all those guys. Yeah, I man. Small world. It's, yeah, I played, Gre- against, I played well, against you or with you. Yeah. Greg was our hero. Greg, well, Greg was our star. Like they said, his brother right. Rudy was a better player than he was. But if you just look at the data and the numbers, his brother played yeah. better, had a better college. Greg had a better college career. He still holds the yeah. record for <laughs> most kills in the match. Six, he was six. He's sixty-one for ninety-eight with five errors. That record will never be broken. <laughs> not, no, 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 not in the world of rally. <laughs> we yeah. No, we we don't play we don't play side out scoring yeah. anymore. There's no way. We were also the only one of six teams to make um eiva um uh there were two teams that made a flight it was vassar who actually made yep. the eiva finals that year the only right. division three team to make the finals which is i'm gonna get to you guys in a minute um who lost to penn state who subsequently won the whole thing um njit right. back then was division three they're d1 now but they were Tariq mm-hmm. was with that team uh vassar had brent stark so this takes you back a little bit um new paltz yeah. had had um neno leandro um ulysses um sky and shadow um good team um juniata they were the number one seed back then they were good nyu and why you had boris and john eisenberg the outside yeah. hitters, born of the, Eisenberg, still, still probably one of the record holders for most digs, right? And all the di- the defensive categories. Yeah, of, both, both, I'm a, both you know. were Hall of Famers. Yeah. So I wanted to get back to that. Enough about us, uh, me. Um, NYU, they made EIVA semifinals, I believe, and lost to Penn State um, in 2008, uh, 2007, 2008, and Penn State won the whole thing that year. Yeah, that was a team that I, that was the first year I left Rutgers, I uh, left for Rutgers. And a, a silly story about that is I recruited, I recruited that team, and I got the one of the best kids in uh, in New Jersey to go to NYU, and then I go to Rutgers where I could have used the best kid in New Jersey to play for me. So that was one of those things where he becomes an all a Division three All American and beats me and kicks me in the head every time we played, and that's how it works, man. That is, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know the cool thing about them that like they uh, with styles making matchups carl like they've sure. always had trouble beating saint francis like pennsylvania french saint francis pa yeah sure. and sure. in order for them to even make the semifinals, they had to go through saint francis and and talk about anomalies they beat them 3-0 and i talked to um 
it wasn't Mitch. It wasn't Dominic. It was, I can't remember who it was. And he said, when we got in the bus and went back, they were like, wow, cool. <laughs> we just did that, you know, because the first one was Juniata. I mean, that's already, that. then they're always a tough out, yeah, right? Yeah. Then nobody's, then nobody's B. But, but St. Francis in three was tough. For Rutgers, who was, who was the team that was a, a more of a stylistic bad match for you guys? Or someone that, that was always problematic uh, to beat? When I was, when I was coaching there, we had a problem with, with Mason because they had so much ball control. Um, Fred Shaw had a really good, had a really good scheme against us. They could, we were bombs away at the service line. Um, and then they would, they would just try and they would pass us. They, they literally played two liberos as outsides against us. And, um, they handled us that way. Princeton was the end, the tail end of Glenn Nelson, the beginning of Sam, um, they were good. And, and Charlie was always good. Charlie, Charlie at, at Springfield was always good. Um, those are the real big problems we had because there was such a gulf between Penn State and everybody else at that time. Um, that was coming off the Anderson years and in the Max Holt years. And, but the one thing that was my, the highlight of my career, I guess, was that they, we were in the EIBA. And since you were in the EIBA, you understand that they had, they had these tiers and it was, it was European football. It was relegation and promotion. Yeah. And, and by the time I got to Rutgers, they had only two divisions and that was the year that uh, Queens Queens folded up their program, and so did Stroudsburg. So we were supposed to and go Concordia, up. right? But Concordia was earlier. Okay, sorry. In the same in the same year, Stroudsburg and, and and Queens kind of like said we're done. So we were supposed to go up, and then they said, well, for balance, you guys should stay down. RAD agreed to stay down, and they said, well, in this season you'll play everybody. And I'm like, okay, great. So we played, we played Penn State at our place, Dome. Um, it was a non-conference match, and we beat them in four. And up until that point, nobody in the East Coast had beaten Penn State. Yeah. For many, many years. Yeah, they were they and were we the team them. that had early hotel reservations to the final yeah, four. Right yep. for the final four. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that was the year that we beat them. So I was like to see the joy on some of the people's faces. And that was also the year that my AD called me in the office and said, Hey, we're, we're going to transition to division three. So all of that happened in the same year. <laughs> I'm yeah. just, look, yeah. at least you, when your, your AD sends you out to, to, to hunt for food, you, you know, look, you came back with the Thanksgiving Turkey and then he's like, well, from now on, we're just doing liver and eggnog. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 that was that's kind of the thing. That's that's. And uh, <laughs> it was a it was a it was a challenging year, but we got through it. Yeah, yeah. John John um, with LMU, the only time his AD even went to a game was when we, they we won the uh, WCCs. It was double elimination. Uh, on, and it was on the beach because so, you know a lot of a lot right. of a lot of the colleges have their own they have their own beach courts. LMU only had one. Uh, um, right. USC has like three. It's awesome. UCLA has this building right. three, three or four. So, but WCCs are always in Ocean Park on the beach. So Pepperdine always had an advantage because they practice in uh, Malibu. 
or, or well, okay. I forgot the name of the beach, Zuma Beach. Uh, and they always do their, oh, yeah. their invitationals. So when you have wind going ocean to strand, you know, you kind of set up your strand set, how to hitters create their, their string like that to their approach. So, you know, mm -hmm. ocean side, it's going to be in and out. And then strand side is going to be like indoor, like, out, you know, off and on, you know, the approach. So we knew it was going to be th them and us and they'd already beaten us. So what LMU had to do is climb out of the loser's bracket make it all the way to the finals. And then because Pepperdine didn't lose yet, you had to beat them twice. So so right, the sure, only sure. time the AD came to any match was an LMU, that, that last day, LMU climbed out of hell and then had to beat wow. Pepperdine twice and became WCC champ. So good feeling for him. And, you know, he gets, the cool story yeah. is he gets the trophy, right? And everyone wants to take a picture. And he's like, you know, he calls me over. He's like, Jay, come take this picture with me. And I was like, um... And I'm like, sure. So I take the picture. And while we're taking the picture, I left before that season start, started. That was 2019. In 2018, right. I, was, I was with him the whole year, pretty much up until he retired as a player in December of 2018, um, which is a cool, a cool question I'm going to ask you. Um, and I mumbled to him. I'm taking the picture. I said, man, I wish I was a part of this. And he says, you are a part of this. <laughs> He says, this doesn't happen. And that was pretty cool because from a coach's perspective, I got what he was saying. And it stroked my ego a little mm -hmm. bit. And I'm like, I, I, I guess he's right. I do deserve to take this picture with him. So, you know, because I left just before it started. So, so here's my yeah, question. He brought, half those, he brought yeah. those ladies along. So, yeah. Yeah. It was quite the journey. When, when John got that team, they were 6 and 13. I joined him a year later. We were 22 and 14. And considering our schedule, that's pretty, that's pretty good. You know, that's like NYU finishing nine and ten and still being the fifth seed for the EIVA because of the schedule. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? If you remember the EIVA days, I'm like nine and ten, <laughs> the fourth seed in the EIVA. <laughs> so there you go. I guess uh, this is a segue to my next question. You are you're a former player, and you're a coach. Yeah. I want to ask you, uh, I'm going to give you a situation and I'm going to ask how it applies to you. And this is why I even mentioned LMU to begin with. John Mayer in 2018 in December retired on my show. I had a show called um, Sports Debate Tuesday. Uh, not Sports Debate Tuesday, a volleyball the Tuesday after before I started this whole podcast thing. And right. he said he had an announcement when he went, you know, some people knew, but he wanted to do it on my show. He retires on my show. And I told him, you're now ready to be a, a champion. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. I said, yeah. And I said, because in any major sport, you will never meet, you will never see a championship coach at, who at the same time is a, is a full-time or part-time active player. They don't, that, that animal doesn't exist. Okay. And if, and if he does, you, we need, you and me, we need to go find him. We need to take him to the lab, you know, and, and like dissect and see what that's all about. Cause that's, that's a unicorn. So, Retires December 2018, April 2019, WCC champs. So the, I guess my question to you is, did you find more success as a coach when you're, you're like, I need to spend more time doing this and, and, and not play as much? Was there a transition time where you, where you felt the difference as a coach because you, the, the dog out of you? and um, Maybe the dog's still in you. So the floor is yours, man. Yeah, it's uh, that's an interesting uh, interesting question. I, I would say that most of it is because 
you obviously can't play at a certain level anymore. So the last time I won a Jiva championship was with Neno and, and some of those guys. Um, with Suave, I guess it was I think that's what yeah. team. Or El, El Peligro team. or something, yeah. Yeah, so we were, I think it was 2000, 2003, something like that. It was, yeah. it was a long time ago. Good team, um, though. Okay. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a really good team. Um, but I can't say that that um, I was playing at a high level anymore. I was I was definitely not playing at a level where I could I could I could play with the guys that were playing Empires because Empires was still a big thing then, and you know all all those guys. Yeah. Um, so I think what happened was when I got a full time gig, that's when I'm like, okay, now we've got to we got to we got to treat this as a full time job. So all those years I was at Mount St. Vincent. I was part-time and I was still helping out with the uh, Marymount school for girls on different sports there. So I was hustling. And then when I got to the point of, all right, NYU full-time, okay, let's, let's move forward. And, but yeah, I, I don't, I think I get my competitive juices doing other stuff. Like I'm playing softball now. I play, I play even more softball. Like I would walk by you guys playing over by Sheep's Meadow and I'd have my softball bag with me and I would just see who's there playing with, uh, with uh oh gosh who's the guy uh john from uh 2020 uh yeah and i would see you guys playing and i just like oh okay that's great but i would never set foot on that court yeah but you you just but you just recognize the family i mean right volleyball um more more so than any and more in new york city more so than anywhere is incestuous where we all know each other like that so yeah yeah so i just i think you're i think there's something to that where your, your brain goes into a different, you go into a teaching mode as opposed to this is how I did it, so this is how I'm going to teach you how to do it kind of thing. Um, you just have a different mindset. And the last person that, that I know of that was at a high level at a major sport was Bill Russell. Um, he did it. Um, and, and that was in the 60s. Or the, yeah, 60s. And he was crewed so, up too. Yeah. Right. So I can't see how... I, I really can't see, and I even think Todd Rogers, to a certain extent, um, was he was coaching and he was kind of had his toe in it a little bit. Now he's a head coach at Cal Poly, and and I think his team is much more is better for it too. So in that same realm of, well, I can still play with these AVP kids, and you know I can do this, but are you really doing the best you can by both? Right. Yep. <laughs> Look who just interrupted my podcast. This girl has uh, immunity. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, then that's okay. She's, <laughs> she's, a, she's allowed. She's allowed. Braxton, look, look, look. <laughs> <So, yeah. laughs> Alright, get out of here, girl. Daddy's got to work. <laughs> yep, she invades the command center. She, she, she picks the lock. But, yeah, so I, I guess the reason why I was asking that and and... You know, I talk to other coaches, but for me personally, one of my um, where I thought I failed as a coach a lot in a lot of cases was I would see my player get aced and I'm like, you know, that wouldn't happen to me, you know, or like he's trying to exercise a, a way to serve. Maybe maybe he's loading up on his on his pop too much. And some people are going too el- too much elbow back, elbow forward instead of hands high or whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, that. I serve that way. It works fine for me. What's the problem? So, and I, for me, I, I can only, you only realize this retrospectively looking back, right? Or present to the past that, that I failed because 
where are there are different physicalities, right? That come into mm-hmm. play. Like I'm six one, but my wingspan is is six eight. All right, that kid's right. Not, he's not gonna have the same reach as me, or or you know, um, his penetration he gets up higher, so his penetration's more than mine. So comes into play. Right. Um, and I'm not even, I didn't even get into the other part. I didn't even get to the, I'm talking about the muscles between their ears and someone right. who, may, who may have killer instinct and someone who, who has big waves that crash and some people that have like small waves that keep flowing. So, so all of these things, the only way I was able to function as a better coach was not take a situation and, and put myself in their shoes and, and what I would do. And that's, and I, I don't know if that helps people coach, but that's, that is, uh, been a big, big coaching obstacle for me. Uh, thoughts? I, I think, yeah, I think that what works for you is, or what what works for your players, the people that are under your care, is what you need to do. We have to be more than just what everybody thinks the coach does. Oh, well, well, they just roll off the ball and let them play. I'm like, no, there's more to it than that. And a lot of people, when they see that I, they ask me when I coach, I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. There's a lot of preparation that goes into it. And a lot of sleepless nights or waking up early with ideas and writing these down, depending on your, your method. So whatever, and I will never tell anybody how to do what they do, because I don't think that's my place. If they ask me, I'll say, hey, this is what I did. This is what works for me. But we're all unique individuals. We all think differently. We all have our own bias. We all have our own, um, as I said, method of doing things. So for me, I look at my guys and I'm like, okay, how do they learn? Do they learn by, uh, do they learn by touching? Do they learn by visual or do they learn by doing or all of the three, you know, those kind of things are, can they write stuff down also, I guess would make it a fourth thing, but I need to figure that out for, for, they need to figure that out, help me figure them out so I can help them. It's a help me help you situation. So that's how I do it with, and I have to do it individually. And because the team is a collective, but it's made up of individual parts. So that's how I do it. And I think that your method isn't wrong. It's not bad. It's just, if you feel it's wrong, then you need to tweak it. Because I don't think, and then if your boss tells you it's wrong, then you have to tweak it also. Yeah, well, those are orders, <laughs> but, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, those are orders. But, <laughs> And that, and that's what I find. That's what I find most important, especially when you're coaching uh, like age and under groups, like U17s or or U18s or something like that. Then it's a whole other thing because you never that something that always sticks in my head is you never want to be somebody's last coach. You never want to be that person. You want to, you don't want to be the coach that makes them leave the sport. You know, so mm, yeah, yeah. I, it's a very tricky. It's a very tricky question. I'm um, sorry, tricky answer to a really simple question. But I think it's, it's just, it, and the simple answer is it depends. And nobody likes it depends. So it's nah. just like, but you it, do what but you have to do. at the same time, it does, right? It, do, it does depend. Yeah, um, it all depends. Yeah. Everything's, everything has, and nobody ever re- realizes that it, everything has a level, and you have to figure out what that level is. It's like, okay, this is what I want to do, this is what I need to do. Oh wait, but for you it doesn't work. I've got to change all that. So, yeah, yeah, that was um, that was one of the challenges I had actually in the early two thousands. I was with City Tech. Um, Justin and I we were at Baruch for almost four years together, just trying to rebuild. Yeah. When we got that team, they were seventh, 
in the worst division in the NCAA. <laughs> so, you know, and I mean, I, I got to get yeah. I mean, you want to talk about the time two people spend together living in a video room and dialoguing and disagreeing and cursing each other out. Justin and I were, you know, we spent a couple of years doing that. And and at that time, I was still, I was still, I was a full-time student at Marymount Manhattan. I'm just like, I don't need this crap. But, but I think, like you said, looking back, no, but looking back, you conquer a lot of obstacles like that. Like one of the biggest obstacles I had, I conquered was that I don't look at things and how they apply to me anymore. I'm just a different kind of animal, you know. And and when I learned how to play the, when I learned how to play the game, think about how many times the rules have changed, <laughs> right? From going back as man, far to man, being able to man. block a serve to <laughs> to 2001, where like everything changed. 2001 was serve, um, no no double hit for first contact. A let serve rule applies and rally. All three in one year. <laughs> so, so, yeah, right so a lot of those, a lot of those things come into play. Another thing that comes into play was I was, um, I stopped being a sideline coach. I used to have something to say for between every play and during the play. Free, free, go out, go out. You know, call the play, call. So I went cold turkey, Carl, from that. No right. tapering down, like no, no, you know, it's like alcoholics, they taper down or whatever. No, just yeah, boom. Sure, sure. I went from 80 to zero to just. Wow. And I told myself, if I got something to say that can't wait for the timeout or, or got an army of assistant coaches and team managers, you know, I mean, there are more of them than players for Christ's sakes, you know, write this down for me. That's it. Because I found out because of my stage voice, the more they were looking at me, the less they were look they were they were focused on the task at hand and what's in front of them. Um, oddly enough, all the time I spent with those all those NCAA programs, City College, remember them? I was with I was their head coach for a year. Yeah. Actually we we made necklace. That was the only I mean that was the only time they made necklace necklace since Owen Niles. So um Yeah. Owen, Owen's a savage, by the way. But um I learned that at Hunter, I had to I had to go to a smart kid school uh, uh, to to process that. And you need a a, a coach, you need an assistant coach, like a timeout coach, right? You, like at, for high school, you need your coach to tell you no, don't wait two plays and I call timeout now. <laughs> and 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 um, you need that assistant coach to to help you share make mental notes. Right, because if if, yeah, if yeah, you sure. call timeout and you want to talk to the team, your assistant coach can now pull that player off to the side. Hey, do this, do that. That made me. Those are the two things that that made me level up. Um, because I already had the X's and O's. I already knew how to coach. I already knew how to play right. the game. And you watching a video, you know, you you're gonna know how to beat a team. You ain't gotta play everybody straight up. So all of that I already I already knew. And these there were these two or three obstacles. I'm like. They got everything. We're the better team. Why are we losing? You know, and now, and now, I, now I figured it out. Sorry, you you wanted to say something about, um, not not um, not the timeout thing, but like what sitting and and not sideline coaching. You 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 had a thought well, about just, that. It's, it's interesting because yeah. we're both we're, we're both New Yorkers. We're both we're we're both demonstrative. Yeah. We're, we're going to do things, and where we where we played and what we did. There's a lot of energy to those games. There were a lot of there's a lot of energy in that park. There's a lot of machismo, if you will, in that park. It's like I've and then when you're when you're coaching your team, you want to coach a team almost like you played if you're if you're like you said, if you're a younger coach. And then you have to remember that 
the same fire that you have, they don't have. And I learned that as a head coach when I was at Mount St. Vincent. And then when I had to go, when I had to take a step back and move a seat down to Jose, I just said, okay, how can I make this team better? Okay, let's make that team better. Then when I went back to being a head coach, how can I make this program rise? And then I came back and I was like, how can I make this team better and support my head coach? Even though I have now, as I'm probably the most experienced assistant coach in Division Three men's volleyball. So it was a really interesting uh, dynamic. And I, I, I said to Jose, I'm not going to talk in the huddle. You call a timeout, I'll talk to you. You talk to the team. Yep. We can't have it's gotta have be one, one person. Voice. One voice. You can't have three voices. If after you're done and you send them out, I might go, hey, don't forget about this. Don't forget about this. Don't hey, we're gonna bring out a blocking sub for you. Don't don't those kind of things. But it's it's being a head coach is different than assistant. And I think a lot of people do not understand that sometimes. There's a big difference between doing the paperwork and not doing the paperwork. There's a big difference between taking that phone call from a parent and not taking that phone call from a parent or talking to the AD and talking and just being in the shadows. And a lot of people can't deal with all that stuff. I've been blessed enough to be able to have the, the have a good head coach to help me get to the next step. And then when I come back, now I can help him get his first national coach of the year thing. So I think it's all one of those kind of deals where we can all be good together um so yeah but i learned a lot of things that you talked about pretty much back in the same time it all depends on the level too if you're coaching a college team and you're coaching a high school team sometimes you need to give that energy to those young men whereas when they get to the college level you already think they have that energy and most of the times they don't yeah for me as a player um you know the kind of team you have when if there's some chatter back and forth in the net, someone says something, and you're like, okay, I got you next play. Watch what happens, right? And if your team gets aced the next play after that confrontation, okay, that's the kind of team I have. I ain't going to say nothing. <laughs> One play later after all that, right? They ain't even got my back. I think me probably made them lose their focus. Where, like you said, we right. have some yeah. fours games in Central Park like – you know, like Burn or, or Eugene Flacco is like, yo, if I talk shit, you back me up, <laughs> you know? So it's like, so it's like we're already mentally prepared to have his back yeah. where, where some people, yeah, yeah. there's some, there's, there, and, and I'm not casting any aspersions on people, uh, try, not trying to call the other guys weak will. They're not, they're just trying to play the freaking game. I get that too. So, um, sure, sure. Yep. So I really like to talk about, your your the your experience as a as a as, as an assistant coach my question is is there a level of comfortability being an assistant coach knowing that you don't have to deal with the other i'll give you an example gustavo right my boy gus he's the assistant coach uh, at usc he's the um he's a uh, dane's assistant he was anna collier's longtime assistant as well yeah sure. um a lot of the, the volleyball clinics that, that they run or a lot of the practices or just some of the games. I was doing the beat, uh, uh, doing interviews for volleyball one-on-one. -on -one. He said, absolutely not. 
He says, I'm your boy. You want to go get a drink? You know, and he says, you know, I'm there a lot for karaoke. Your birthday party, you know, your birthday comes. You know, I'm always there. But the reason why I'm even an assistant coach is so I don't have to do that. So if you see what I'm getting at uh, to steering the question in your direction, sure. there are coaches. And I'm not going to talk about assistant coaches where you're like, you never even heard of them. And you're like, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> you know, I'll name names <laughs> later if you want. I'll tell you a story about Pepperdine later. A little Conor McGregor there. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Jeremy <laughs> Stevens. Yeah, I flatten people. They don't get up. Who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> That's the best line ever. Which, oh, we got to talk about that this weekend, too. But, um, uh, yeah, we got Adesanya and Costa coming up. And we had yeah, Woodley yeah, and we'll, Covington we'll, last week. We got to... We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. Yes. We'll get to it. So, we'll get to it. So, I'm not talking about the coaches who are gift, the assistant coaches who are gifted a spot, you know, maybe they got bumped up the chain from, from director of operations, a team manager. I'm talking about coaches like you. Um, I bring your attention to Mario Trebich, longtime assistant sure. coach at St. John's University. A lot of people just think he's a crabby old man they can't see. I tell him, why don't you watch your, you watch your mouth. <laughs> I met that guy in Barcelona in 1992 when I was playing in Germany. He was the head coach of the Netherlands. Uh, who won a silver, and he was also with the Netherlands in 96, who won a gold. And and going further back, he was the assistant coach of the U.S. women's team in 1984, silver medal. So you're talking, and the assistant at USSR 88, so that's three silvers and a gold. So, But he always told Chi, Chi DiMaggio, if you ever yeah. coach a Division One team, I want to be your assistant. And when she told me that, my question, my question to her is, I'm like, why the hell that has been someone has been doing this longer than you've lived? She never mind me, even longer than you've lived uh, would want to be your assistant. Um, City Tech, Aldis Lucis was my assistant. Aldis Lucis went to UCLA. He's a fourth string setter for, you know, I mean, he didn't play because yeah, yeah. there was Karch and Sinjin running a 6-2. You ain't going to play if those two are there. But, um, but that guy had more experience yeah. than me. So my level, is, my question is, is there a level of comfortability? It's almost a rhetorical question at this point. Is there a level of comfortability um, that comes with just being an experienced assistant coach where as a, um, you don't have to, you have the luxury of not having to worry about the other. Well, there's, we have a unique system at NYU where I am a full-time assistant coach and our head coach is part-time. So we do, we have two people doing the job of a full-time. So both people are taking it full-time. Um, this will be our 15th season together if we play in 2021. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things that I, I do that he lets me just run with because he knows that I've, I've got his back for one, but he knows that I have the experience because of all the things I've done in my career. So, yeah, I mean, it's been very, very comfortable for sure, knowing that when other jobs open up, that, yeah, I would like to go for those jobs and I'll apply for some jobs. But for the most part, I don't have to go. There's no need for me to go. Yeah. Um, I, I have been offered, I was offered one job. Um, I decided not to do it. And, but for the same reasons that we're, I mean, we're talking, I feel very comfortable talking to Jose about just about anything regarding the volleyball team, about, about the culture, all that stuff. And, Sometimes he takes 
parts of it. Sometimes it takes all of it. Sometimes he just says, ah, no. And I can't let that affect my feelings about it. I can be hurt, but I can't be butt hurt. No. I can be like, oh, man, that's messed up. But there's a big difference between, oh, that's, okay, I get that, to saying, oh, man, I can't work for this guy anymore because it's not that way. Um, there are only a few people, like the woman that was at Stanford who just retired, um, who's worked with Kevin, uh, Kevin Hambly. Why can I not God. remember her name? Yeah, I know her too, but her name, name escapes us. Her name escapes me right now. And but listen, whoever's nice listening, they, they know. <laughs> yeah, they, they, I mean, she was there through, through all the years she left Pacific, and then she went to Stanford, stayed with him, and then when Kevin came, she stayed. Um, she is a hell of a player, and it's one of those things where there's certain roles that you feel that you're good for, and would I work for somebody else um, as an assistant coach? Yes. It depends on who it was, because I would work with some of these other, I would work with some other people if um, if the opportunity was presented, because some people I think are really, really good at their job, but and I can help them be better at their job. So, yeah, I would do that. Like, for example, if if uh, Columbia had a program tomorrow and somebody I knew applied for that job and they say, hey, Carl, I know you live in the area. Would you would you want to be my assistant? I'm like, absolutely. If I like that person, we had a good relationship, say absolutely. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what we need to do. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, that that's be, knowing – what you do well, I think, is just as just as good as knowing what you don't do well. And sometimes people shy away from what they don't do. They don't do uh, well, so don't get better. But sometimes they shy away from what they do well, and just take it for granted that they do it well and not work on that either. So there's a lot of things to that. But yeah, I feel very comfortable in my role with with uh, with the Violets. It's it's been a very very interesting run the last. In the Division Three era, because when I came back, it was the first year of Division Three volleyball. Yeah, the reason. Listen, the reason why I asked that is because I notice a lot of the programs that enjoy that success um, more often than not have an assistant coach that has, as far as quantitative experience, has just as much as the head coach, and in some cases more. Like Mario, assistant coach at St. John's, bad example. I'll pick another example. Ten times the experience than the, the he for, Mario forgot more than that coach will learn. That's and that that is what it is. That's, um, yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, sometimes you consider a failure experience. I consider experience experience, right? Like success yeah, success sure. or failure. Um, Jeff Alzina, who was the assistant coach for Stein Metzger at UCLA. Jeff Alzina was yeah, yeah. Jeff Alzina was Stein's coach. When Stein played in the Olympics, <laughs> so right. and Jeff built uh, Greece because they were the host. He built their beach program in a year and a half, so they can play host. So, so right. and now he's at Santa Clara because that's where he's from. So, like you said, as far as the right situation and timing is everything. Oh, he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm coming home. I'm going home, and and he's one. He's I have a lot of coaches that I respect a lot, and he's the one I've known for the least amount of time that I have a ton of respect for, like. 
you know, he's he was doing color commentary for the one of the one of the courts for the AVP when I did that three week series, and all everybody was talking about was him because Kevin Barnett, who I worship on the indoor scene, Kevin Barnett takes you on this journey mm-hmm. and you and you get filled with all this information and past history. He's just absolutely terrible on the beach. He's like this god for indoor, you know, and we all love and respect him. He's like the modern day Paul Sunderland, and and uh, yeah, okay, okay, sure. but I'm I'm skipping because I'm I always feel like I'm criticizing that guy, but but um, Alzina. Right, as an, as an example of someone who has probably just as sure. much experience. Um, Anna Collier knows the game, but when you consider you have Dana as her assistant and Gustavo as the assistant, as far as the X's and O's, I think that's where their strengths play to the needs of USC, which which helped them enjoy success. Uh, yeah. We can go on and on. You can you can pick a bunch of examples. I was Eater's assistant, uh, John Jay, right, uh, for a year. Right. Um, <laughs> right, I was Eater's volleyball coach when he played at City Tech his freshman year. So. And, and sometimes you have to have that person that mm-hmm. you can just turn over, you can look at and say, hey, what do you think here? Mm-hmm. Yep. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I got that. Yep. I mean, so when John Thompson took over Georgetown, who's John Thompson uh, the third took over, who was his, who was his confidant? His father, who, who who's better than that to know Georgetown basketball than the guy who pretty much put Georgetown basketball on the map? Yes, John Thompson. For you people listening at home, three, uh, four time, I believe, three times at a Final Four appearance and an NCAA championship, and probably would have gotten another one if it wasn't for a freshman named Michael Jordan who hit the who hit the winning shot against them. It was uh, or Fred Brown doesn't throw the ball away, but we won't talk oh, about. Oh yeah, how about this for a tidbit because. Um, we share the same sentiment of student athlete, student becoming before the student athlete. So I'm going to plug in John Thompson, an interesting stat uh, that I mentioned on my sports debate show with Rob McLean. John Thompson. Oh, Rob. Rob is awesome. Rob McLean. I just trained with him this morning. I'll tell you later. Okay. And training with young dudes in Hermosa Beach, man. I, I, you know, I, when everyone's good, you, you kind of blend with them because you got skill. But when you leave, you're like... Right. Those motherfuckers tried to kill me. <laughs> Those young dudes tried to kill me. So, um, no, but um, interesting stat about John Thompson that doesn't uh, people don't say a lot. 90%, 97% of the students that play for him graduate, get college degrees. 97%, Carl. The graduation rate at Georgetown for all students is 94%. He is on the head coach of a basketball team and I'm, I sound like I'm a bash basketball player. They don't seem like the smartest people in the world sometimes, right? 97%. He is three points. His basketball team, his players, graduate th- at a p- three percentage points higher than the people who go there just to study. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... and- and in, in those days, nobody left early. Patrick Ewing didn't leave early. The only one that left early of note was Iverson. Father, right? He was a father, yeah. yeah. Hey, listen, Iverson has a ton of stuff to say for him. Yes, uh, I yeah, mean, okay. listen, he pro- I think he probably he said everybody should play for John Thompson for at least one year or some, something, you know, highly complimentary. And he did get into this whole father figure thing or whatever. Oh, yeah, so, he's great. Yeah. So, listen... Let's talk about let, let's shift. Ooh, let's take this car and let's steer it to let's steer it to mixed martial arts. Did you see Covington and Woodley last week? Okay, yeah. yeah. He says so, I'm ready. So, so <laughs> all right, so there's there's three things there's 
there are three different things about MMA that some people get, some people don't get. It's almost like the same way where we're talking about volleyball before, where NYU would play Penn State and St. Francis on one weekend in the EIBA back in the day. And then it would drive down and play, they play Juliata and Mason on another weekend. And that was, that was, that's a weekend. Right. And, and you, and you'd finish, you'd finish in a division one and seven and your one win was at home against St. Francis PA. And you're like, well, oof, hope we get the tiebreaker. Yeah. You know, so you can stay up. That counts as so, a win. <laughs> yeah. That counts as a win. So Woodley has fought the number one, the number two, and the, and the, and the interim champion. Yeah. Yeah. He fought Usman. Yep. He lost to Usman. He lost to Gilbert Burns and he lost to Covington. He lost to three of the top 170 pounders in the world. Yeah. The one, the two, um, and the, the one, the two in the interim. Yep. Right. So what do we, we can't be too upset about that. Um, but Covington, Covington is just, he, he's in a different, he's in a different space right now. He is fighting at a great clip. I don't know who's next for him. I guess it'd be, I guess it'd be Edwards if he can get out of Britain or if he wants to fight. Because uh, yeah. he's the, that is the one person that I cannot understand. This guy is on a, he hasn't lost in four years and he's sitting in the UK and he doesn't seem like he wants to fight. And I'm like, well, we're in Abu Dhabi. Well, I, 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 well he's never fought. He yeah, would, supposed to he fight just Woodley, got to go down yeah. the list. Yeah. I, Edwards is, um, Edwards made uh-huh. a mistake. Edwards won a match in England and, and lost the same night. If you, if, yes, I'm about to make yeah. a joke, but but Masvidal, as far as working his way up 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 the rankings, he got a two yeah. for one that night. He knocked out Darren yeah. Till, and then backstage having the interview, you know, um, yeah. Edwards, you know, popped a little, popped up, popped off a little bit. First time yeah, yeah, he yeah. let it go, and they did it a second time, and then Masvidal. What did he say? I gave him a three piece and a soda, and that's what it. That's yeah, what it. Like he that. said. He said pat 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 pat. <laughs> I was like, when when you saw the video, I was like, wow. I'm actually gonna search it while we're talking about it. That, um, you know how long ago that was? That I was know. so long ago. Yes. That was almost a full year ago. Yes. Edwards has not fought since, and we can't blame COVID for this. No. He's just. He, oh well, my gym wasn't open. I'm like. Yeah, well, okay, well, stay there and let the world pass you by. Here it is, hold up. Jorge, unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. You walked into that arena with a lot of booze. You walked out with silence. What does it feel like to silence the O2 arena? If anybody heard my interviews prior to this, I I said I live for that. So you're going to see he's going to look the first time at Edwards, and he's going to ignore him. And, uh... It's amazing. Right there. Silence people. It's, uh, it's he a sees them, but he just ignores them. He keeps going. I've never tasted. Man's try to duplicate it, but they can't find the recipe And for here it, comes you know? the second time. Oh, he walks by a second time. Let's talk about that opening sequence. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> if you, hey, come over here. And here it comes. Yeah. And then pop, 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 pop. <laughs> I was just like, what the hell? <laughs> The best part about that video, it, well, the best, well, not the best part, but the interesting part about that is that on Twitter that night, because I was watching that fight, mm-hmm. they were like, we don't know if Jorge's going to be able to leave the country because he has this <laughs> assault. Go yeah. 
But Ed, Edwards, it was the best. yeah, it was the best. but that was a, that was like a two for one deal for for Masvidal. But you, Edwards, you're, at some point he's got to fight somebody. Right now, Covington said he wouldn't say no to Masvidal. Masvidal, I think Kobe right now is looking for someone who's within the top five, but at the same time, um, like on a subconscious way, people want to see Masvidal kick his ass, and they're willing to pay for the pay per view to do that. And Kobe's like shishing, shishing. That's my money fight. But 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 he wants the real money fight, which is Diaz too, or older brother. He wants Diaz. Nick. He didn't call out Nick. He said he doesn't well, want to fight well, Nick. He, Nick. he said he wanted Nick. Nick. Called him out. Right? Oh, Nick called him out. Didn't, okay. Um. So he did the test cut. It could be Nick Diaz against Masvidal. But see, you don't want to put Nick Diaz in a card with no arena. Hmm. Yeah. You want that gate. So you've got to find a place where you can get a gate. And I don't know if you can get a gate anywhere in the U.S. right now. You can't get it in Canada. No. So where are you going to go to get to get people to watch it? You're going to have to go to Europe or you're going to have to figure out if yeah. they can do it in Abu Dhabi. Especially if they want that fight to take place in December or January, right? That's just too soon. There's not, you're not, you're not, you're not packing anything by Christmas, you know? I, I, I don't. Yeah. I, I, well, at least not here, man. I mean, Florida, you know, they're a little bit different down there. So maybe, may, maybe there, you know I mean? They had a zombie apocalypse that, well, junior, would, junior nationals you know tournament just, down there. You just, you just said, you just said something that's really interesting. Mazadal in his hometown fighting Nick Diaz. It would be Nate. They're, they're negotiating Nate. Nate oh, three. Nate. Nate or Nick mm-hmm. uh, for the PMF belt in Miami. Yeah. Shushing. <laughs> you, can get, you can get people. To, you can get people to sign up on that immediately. Immediately, yeah, I have a lot of respect for Masvidal. He took that fight last minute with Usman, you know, and I, I and he did depend on the element of surprise. And Usman, look, I don't fault Usman for being a little bit safer because I didn't think, I never thought Masvidal had the knockout power uh, to finish right. someone until I saw him sleep Darren Till and then hitting this right. dude and then catching this dude with a knee. You know, the way he did Askren, yeah. who was under, but Askren was, Askren has a big chin and dares people to hit it and people have hit him and, and the guy's undefeated. So many people have tried and they failed. So I'm just like, yeah. Usman, he's got a chin, but be careful. Usman took a lot of shots. One of the best fights I've seen all year last year was a fight that you and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for you and stop me that I didn't think would be excited. Usman and, and Covington. When you have two wrestlers that talk a lot of crap and want to punch each other in the face, do you know what happens? They spend a lot of time up the uh, against the cage, stalemating, shutting down each other's moves in the cage. And like the people that don't understand right. MMA, they start booing a little bit. And like you said, that's not a, a match for the crowd. So that's right. what I thought was going to happen. But those two hated each other so much. They, they had a gentleman's agreement. There wasn't one takedown attempt in five rounds. <laughs> Zero takedown no, attempts in five all. rounds. Now, getting back to Co- Co- Woodley and Covington, that's exactly how I thought that fight was going to turn out. Woodley yeah. um, has, if you look at some of his losses, and I go back to Strike Force all the way up to the day, he's always struggled against guys his size or bigger with similar wrestling pedigree. If yeah. uh, Rory McDonald, wasn't an all-american but he is an mma wrestler um right like george st pierre right anyone out of tri-star sure. is going to have mma wrestling if you look at uzman 
Division two champ. And size-wise, if you saw the size difference, he looked a little bigger than Woodley. Um, right. Covington's wrestling is, I mean, to, to, brings new meaning to the term elite. And if you saw the yeah. size difference between him and Tyron, mm-hmm. you're like, Tyron, dude, you're, you're the victim of evolution right now because Tyron doesn't carry any fat. He can't cut down to 155. <laughs> you know no, what I'm saying? And that is the new, that is the new 170. So he, like you said, to his credit, there's no shame in losing to the, the top three. And I guess right. my question is, because we Covington already opened up a bunch of doors. And if you saw the post-match interview, uh, they had Kamaru Usman and watching those two go back and forth, where he, yeah, t- yeah. he talked about him, you know, whatever tribe you're from, puffing smoke, or whatever that everyone thought was kind of yeah, yeah. But um, the question is, what's next for Woodley? I, I think Dana, I think Dana, who doesn't like who doesn't like his style to begin with, figured it was like, wait, this whole time I've been feeding this guy strikers and jujitsu guys. When to get him out of there, all I had to do was feed him a wrestler. <laughs> like Dana, that's yeah. that's what I think Dana's thinking, and I'm thinking Dana might feed him Santiago Ponzinibbio. Wow, um, which is more I don't bad think news. he's even in the top ten anymore, Ponzinibbio, but. Um, I don't know who's, I don't know anybody that's top 10 worthy. Yep. Um, cause Luke lost also, um, Let me see. he's already fought Thompson twice. <clears throat> who's, who's left at 170? Lawler's going to fight somebody else. They just signed that fight. Lawler's fighting a uh, platinum Perry. <clears throat> oh, um, <laughs> nice. Pack a lunch. So I don't, Jeez. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, RDA, RDA would be a good fight, but he's been. Yeah. Um, I don't know who's left. RDA don't left. catch a break, man. RDA so does RDA not catch a break. A lot of yes. I'm actually what having a, it right here. Fight. Bantamweight, featherweight, lightweight. Here's welterweight. Let's put it up for a sec. Let's take a look. Covington fought Burns fought Leon Edwards. They could run that back. Maybe that's a match that he can he whatever. Stephen Thompson he fought twice. Maya he fought. Michael Chiesa who um moved up from 155. They haven't fought Neil Magny. Always down to fight anybody. You know and then stylistically. Magny, Magny Woodley would be interesting. That would be. Um, Chiesa would be interesting. Um, Edwards needs to fight. Yeah. Um, but Woodley is going to need some time. He's not going to put Woodley right back in. So I think the fight, now that you said it, I think the fight for Woodley would be after everything settles and we see what's next. Maybe it's not going to be Cowboy Cerrone because Cowboy's too small. Um, Cowboy might, might be done after that match too. I mean, sorry. No, I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he'll let him go out that way. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think you can just take a guy who, who's never fought, like, I was listening to somebody else say this, I can't see that how they're going to take a guy who's never fought anything less than a co-main for the last seven fights, yeah. and then all of a sudden, Woodley's out of the organization. So Woodley's going to fight again, it's just a matter of who. That is. You're right, I, I just don't know who it's going to be. Um, maybe Edwards can't fight until February, so maybe it'll be Woodley-Edwards. I wonder why Ponzinibbio fell out of the top ten. He, um... Did he lose one that I didn't know about? The guy won like I six in a row. I, I know that Luke lost. I thought I know that Luke lost, but then he just won an, another one, so he's on his way back up. Yeah. So maybe maybe they meet in the middle. Um, maybe Woodley Luca Luke meet, but 
Steven Thompson's been sitting there for six months not fighting. So he helped Weidman get ready for his fight at 185, but he hasn't fought. So it's it's time for him to start fighting too. And and yeah. maybe maybe it's Woodley, maybe it's Chiesa against Thompson. Because um, I think Magny's already fought Thompson. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. But T. Wood is going to have to wait and see how it sips out. Yeah. He, and his ribs too, man. I mean, you know. Yeah, that, he's that, out for he's out for he's out for two months easy. What a nasty move by by Covington, though, right? I mean, if you look at how he had the guillotine choke, what they teach, yeah. what they what a lot of these wrestlers do, they tuck their chin, and if it's a side guillotine, they tuck their chin and they take the top top of the head, right, hardest part of yeah. the body, and what it's designed to do is to dig in here and just. I mean, no one thinks it's gonna break, but it's 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 almost like checking the kick with the, with the knee with the patella, right? Um, yeah, sure. It's it's only designed to make someone comf- uh, uh put someone in a lot of discomfort, pain, and what. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think it crack a rib. It's just I think Woodley used that that same position to try to get up. I could see how it cracked, right? Because he had it he had yeah, it like sure. this, and as soon as he tried to sit up, it's almost like he put more pressure on himself and that head. So so some of it was Woodley, but if you look at the whatever and the way people uh, combat the, mm-hmm. the guillotine and tuck their head until they could pop out. Sure. Nasty, savage move by Covington. Huh? Uh, his kickboxing is a lot better now, Covington. Yeah. Well, he feels more confident in his hands now be, because he fought strikers like RDA. Where he knew if he got in trouble, he could he could just close the distance or whatever, and he yep. knew he had the reach on RDA. So I watched him fight RDA, and I watched him fight certain fighters. And Camaro, he what the hell was that? So, but Camaro, he took a lot of he took a lot of big shots from Camaro. They took a lot of big shots from each other, and he's like, wait a second, I broke my jaw, and I still fought, I still fought this guy for five rounds, and that's the champ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know. Woodley, oddly, the crazy thing is Woodley has a two had a two inch reach advantage, but we both know it's about how you use it. Yeah, he he just didn't get off first, and he didn't he didn't get on he didn't get off first at all. Mm. And and Colby was right in his face the whole time. Didn't didn't let him breathe. No, use his legs, use his legs, use his use his stance. Um, it was and he took when he took that when he took him down. That was it because Woodley, remember, had one of the best takedown defenses in all of welterweights. And he went down fairly easily. Yeah, he did. Well, the the first time Woodley even pressed the the um the issue, like took the center of the octagon, he got taken down, right? Yep. So so that after that takedown, and then you know, I mean, he he was in the middle, you know, hands up, throwing leg kicks, you know, shots to the body. I'm like, oh my god, Woodley looks looks, you know, Masvidal um, helped him prepare for that fight, which probably wasn't the best choice because. You you don't prepare against a wrestler by hiring a striker, <laughs> you know. No, but, but um, no, maybe yeah. maybe maybe in hindsight you don't. Yeah. So um, actually, here's the cool interview they had at the end. All right. So you got a call from the president. You got to finish over Tyrone Woodley. You said you had a. Great so this camp, this was the interview the that he had on with Woodley so afterwards, and of course the UFC set it up more like in studio is Kamara um, Usman. Like to say to him? Marty fake news, man. You got so lucky last time. You know what happened two days before? That was the the biggest worst side of my life. <laughs> Look at Usman. That was your best night. Wait till the next time I see you. There ain't gonna be no cheap shots. You're not gonna be able to call fake nut shots. You're not gonna call fake eye pokes and get 10 minutes of timeout and get a fake stoppage. I'm coming for you again. You know who was winning that last fight. You're on borrowed time. 
is my time. I'm getting my big. Guess what? Your fake news. No one go. cares about you. No one cares about you. You the do. Worst, you're pathetic. Do you care about me? No. Yeah, because you got the worst decision in the history of the sport. So no, many bad calls against I, me. I, oh I, yeah, I no. No, you didn't. I stood right up. That wasn't I your question. No, face. Marty, fake newsman. You're, you're full, broke. You didn't break your my face. face. I got right up and protested Look it right away. That was a fake stoppage, fake rap, fake fight. Wait till I see you next time. Wait till I see you next time, Marty, fake newsman. You're dead. You're dead. You got unfinished business. Really? You better show up. Really? I'm coming for you. <laughs> you said that last time. Yeah. You, Yo, you better show up. All of that, but all of that prepared material was destroyed by Kamara Usman saying, I broke your face. He got, yes. I mean, he had a whole bunch of material he had planned out because you could tell, like, I, look, my major in, in college was theater, all right? Theater performance. I know yeah. I know when someone has rehearsed material and, I'm, and I know when something's organic, especially by an amateur. And all... Usman had to say was I broke your face and he got he got heated he <laughs> oh you just break my face I got right up yeah and then yeah because I, I I listened to that the next morning I just started laughing because Megan O'Leary played it well and the president called and it was great but look Colt Covington is going to fight um one probably once more um Sorry, he's going to fight probably between now and February. And this Burns Woodley fight is, I'm sorry, Burns uh, Usman yeah, fight has got to get happen. picked up. I don't, I mean, I would like it to happen if by the end of the year, but I don't know who's healthy and who's not. Um, I would assume that Burns is, Burns is healthy. They already scheduled so the fight. Did they? Yeah, they already scheduled the fight. I, I, um, I don't know the number, uh, but I'll pull it up. Oh, or so it's going to be, then it's got to be the sun. Yeah, maybe even earlier. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna find it for us. Um, let's just yeah, look because I know that you got two. You got two belts going this weekend, and then the following month is who's the following month? Hmm. Let's yeah, I don't. I, I don't know who the, who the who's headlining the pay, the next pay per view after that. Um, should be Wei Li Zhang again, but I, I don't know what's. I don't know. I don't know when, and then you got Volkanovski who's out there. Yeah, they're targeted. Woodley and, and Burns is targeted for UFC 256 in December. Okay. Yep. Okay, that's all. December, boom. So I'm excited like that. And that's it. Let's hey, let's take a little time. Let's talk about these two. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. Ooh, we got a um, pretty pretty good card. We got two titles on the line this weekend. Let's start with the main event. Um, Rob McLean is, um, he's, he's more of an MMA purist than he is like a franchise guy. Like he'll watch Bellator, he'll watch LFA and he'll also watch the UFC. So I watched one championship. Yeah. Oh, one. I started watching one more when Demetrius went. Yeah. I was like, wait a second. This, this franchise has like just as many fans as the ufc they're freaking global they are yeah. they and they got money yes, to burn great great the greatest trade in mixed martial arts man everyone was happy dana was happy because he didn't he never liked the 125 pound division and he got finally got an undefeated wrestler that wanted to test his medal against the top competition demetrius yeah. johnson took the UFC as far as it can go. He's already beaten everyone, including the guy who beat him by split decision, which I thought Demetrius won, but I'm biased. So yeah. I'm mm. biased. Yeah, I can't help it. So who wins, Costa or um, Adesanya? I think I think Adesanya wins. 
I always think that the uh, the one who's pursuing um, in this in this fight will not will not catch Adesanya. Adesanya is literally Silva 2.0. So unless unless Adesanya throws a kick and breaks his leg like he did against against Silva did against Weidman, yeah, um, or he starts fooling around, which I don't think Adesanya is going to do. I think he wants to beat him. If he beats Costa, there's nobody. There's nobody. The next person is uh, the guy who's standing and waiting. Is Cannonier? Uh, is Cannonier's the guy he said he wanted to fight? Cannonier, right? Yeah, right. Um, so Cannonier would be next. So that would be good um, until can maybe fight Costa, you know, later. But yeah, it could be very. It's going to be very interesting. I, I think that fight's going to be. It's going to be bizarre. And the thing about Costa is that he's got the Cejudo dude in his corner. Um, and he's a really good, he's a really good, smart, tactical man. Um, and he has a unique look with the white glasses and the whole nine yards. But yeah, coming out there with the white belt this morning at the, at the weigh-ins was, was uh, at the face-off was really interesting. Yeah. So I, I do like the fight. I think Adesanya wins though, because he's just, he just has more skills. He's yeah. shown off more skills. And I think, he might be able to choke him out um, because, you know, just because you're a white belt doesn't mean you don't, you don't know how to sink, sink in a guillotine choke or a head and arm choke. Yeah. So, well, if you're a Brazilian jiu-jitsu fun. black belt and you're on the ground and you get hit in the face, you become a white belt. <laughs> you know, right? There's, well, there's jiu-jitsu yeah, competitions yeah, yeah. and there's MMA. Someone says when you're on the ground and they punch you in the face, you're a white belt. <laughs> okay, you know? well, I, I take that for sure. What do you think is going to happen? I think Adesanya wins. I think it is a five-round decision. I think that muscles need oxygen and Costa, who's cutting a lot of weight, is going to have to find a way to to do what he does best for more than three rounds. I don't think yeah. what he's going to do. He might even catch Adesanya once or twice, but Adesanya clearly showed he could take a hit. He took shots from Tavares, who has strong knockout power. Kelvin Gastelum sleeps, sleeps people. Yoel Romero still, still remains, in my opinion, the scariest fighter at 185. So he finds a way to shut down these guys who, who carry a lot of power so he doesn't right. fear the power, but like you said, don't don't be too disrespectful because you know even someone less powerful hits you the right way, you, you're gonna go to sleep. Like Anderson, Anderson got caught because mm-hmm. Anderson, Anderson Silva has a strong chin. You've seen him get rocked a lot and not not never knocked out. In fact, how right. many times? Right, just that's just that one, <laughs> you know, by by Chris who had um, you know, or knocked out in that fashion. Yeah, I've seen him yes, get. Yes, 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 get I've seen him get Rock, submitted. Yes. Yeah, I've seen him get submitted. You know, but that was a hundred years ago, <laughs> and that was someone who yeah. jumped in the air and like did some kind of like airplane spin, which yanked them both down to some kind of crazy leg lock. It was I, I, don't, I don't even know what the hell the move is. So I like Adesanya, um, because I think you're gonna clearly see Costa's hand speed diminish. You don't see him throw a lot of leg kicks. You don't see him throw a lot of body kicks, which I, I think w- would be beneficial, but he might surprise us. But but that's why yeah. picking these things are fun. I got Adesanya, five rounds five, five rounds to zero, 50-45. Um, um, hey, um, light light heavyweight titles up for grabs, Dominic Reyes and Jan Blakovich. Well... I, I saw John Jones's first Cormier fight. I was there in the stands. 
I was there in Vegas for. Yep. And Cerrone was on that card as well against Miles Jury. That was hilarious. Um, yeah, he's kick, he kicked him in the butt for like the last ten seconds. <laughs> soccer, he soccer kicked him in the in the in, in the uh, gluteus maximus. Yes, he did that. He's just mad because he's looking for a finish. <laughs> disrespectful. Um, yeah, I. The division that John Jones and you know Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell and it's gonna go to a guy. I I, I think this is a toss up because I think the Polish guy, I think Blahovic is gonna just show us some things that we haven't seen. He's been pretty much under the radar, and I don't I, I just count I don't count the Rockhold fight at all. I just don't. So yeah, I think th- this is one of those. You got a live, I mean, I, I'm not allowed to bet because I'm an NCAA coach, but this is a live underdog here. This is a really live underdog. You could you could do some damage here with uh, with Blahovich because, yeah, Reyes can do some things, but now he's going to have a different style of fighter who's not going to be trying to be crafty. He's just going to be brute force power. Yeah. So it should be interesting. I think it's interesting because uh, but Blahovich, like you said, it always – he always comes up with something new, right? I mean, he's got a good submission game. He's got a good ground game. He's got um, power in both hands. Um, we don't, you don't count the rock hole thing, and rightfully so. I mean, you consider a guy who's only fought twice at 205 and, and already had a suspect chin. I mean, he, yeah. he, he is a fighter that not only has gotten knocked out before but continues to fight with his chin up. And daring people mm-hmm. and daring, you know, I mean, he still has, thinks he has this aura of invincibility. Like, you know, yeah. I can, whatever, whatever it's, whatever they have to throw at me is not going to be hard enough to hurt. Boom. You out again, you know, and that happened to him against Romero. That happened to him against Michael Bisbing, um, which if he did his fucking homework, probably wouldn't have happened. People don't know this. Michael Bisbing is left-handed. He fights right-handed, but he is left-handed. So that whole left right. hook Larry reference is because he he he's lefty. And when the hell has Michael Bisping ever slept anyone? So I mean, that's just a testament to you. I in fact, I want to say this before I even continue. I blame Luke Rockhold for for killing the 185-pound division. Him sticking his chin out and Michael Bisping knocking him out. What happened after that? Bisbing's like, I'm the champ. I'm just going to chill. Hmm, 10, 11 months? I think I'm going to fight Dan Henderson. He's 47 years old. Cool. You know, in, in a fight that was razor close in England. I'm going to wait another half year. Oh, who else am I going to fight? I think I'm going to fight this guy who fought at 170 and has been retired for four years. And you lost to that guy. And I don't blame Michael Bisbing. I blame I hold Luke Rockhold accountable, and he must pay for his activity and his gross negligence in mixed martial arts. It's all your fault. All right. Now, with that being said, um, I go with Dominic Reyes. He's a more complete fighter. Uh, clearly showed he can dish it and take it. Um, I'm not going to say there's no doubt in my mind that he beat John Jones, but if I just had to score it by the rounds the way judges are supposed to score it. I thought he won three to two. I thought he won three to two. I thought the volume of punches and who had momentum at the end, you know, like if you're going by pride rules or whatever, or like who who looked like he was pride gonna finish rules. at the end. Um, yeah, but it in, in the way you score these 10 nines and 10 eights or whatever, I actually thought he beat Jones. I actually thought he beat Jones, yeah. but, but listen, you don't get to where you are 
with Jones when if you don't have one or two matches that are going to be razor close. Like I didn't, right. like Santos, that was a split decision, but I don't see why. I thought Jones won that. You know, Gustafson, everyone thought Gus won that, but I don't see that. I thought Jones won three to two. So, um, right. you know, Anthony Smith, he got hit with an illegal shot. Anthony Smith could have sat down and actually won by disqualification because it happened in the fourth right. round and he didn't. So so you got to dodge a few landmines if you're going to be this, this champion mm-hmm. that only lost one match, which, by the way, we both know is DQ um, against M- Matt Hamill. Which I thought was one of his best performances. That was most. That was John's most dominant performance. Was a loss. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know, Steve Mazzagatti, like, oh, my, you know, can you hear me, Matt? And I'm like, no, he can't hear you. <laughs> why? Tell, tell, tell the people listening. Tell them why Matt Hamill couldn't hear the ref. Because he's deaf. Well, he's, <laughs> he's deaf. deaf. <laughs> he can't hear you, Steve Mazzagatti. <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah. No. Yeah. We, yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. I forgot about that. But how scary is that, right? You you got blood in your eyes. You're getting beat up, and now you lose most, if not all, your vision, and you can't hear. So I mean, if I gotta watch a documentary about Hamill, man, and just maybe he can convey how scary that is for you, you know. But um, <laughs> but I got I got Reyes, I got Reyes, okay. I got Reyes by submission. I got Reyes by rear naked choke. Who do you got? You got Jan? You said. No, you're not betting. You just yeah. You're just... I'll, I'll take the flyer on Jan. Mm-hmm. I'll take the fl- Jan TKO, TKO third mm-hmm. or fourth round. Yep. All right, cool. Last but not least, since we're still on it, and we can use this to steer another direction. Covington, basically, he said something funny that I didn't think it was overtly racist. He was just teasing a Nigerian guy from a tribe. Like I got a call from the president. You know what? What did you? What did your people from your tribe do? Did they? Did they send you smoke signals or whatever? And everybody right. found that overtly racist. I, because I'm old school, uh, we all kind of found that funny. And I think Kamaru Usman even found that funny. But in this sure. cancel culture thing, where you you. You can, you know, you get fired at NYU for using a, a bathroom that the students use instead of the coaches. <laughs> you know, we got, you well, got to, you yeah, got to, like side, you got to sidestep some landmines, right? If, yeah, for sure. Carl took a poop, canceled, fired. So, but that's not what I was getting at. He basically referred to Tyron Woodley as a terrorist sympathizer. Because in Tyron's, right. Tyron's pre, pre-match interview, he kept referring Black Lives Matter in the form of um, Marshawn Lynch's I'm here so I don't get fined, like type style. So every, he answered every question with Black Lives Matter and, and a reference to that. So mm-hmm. Kobe called Black Lives Matter a terrorist organization and called Woodley a terrorist sympathizer. And I thought that sparked more controversy than the funny comment about you know the tribe and all that other stuff especially by a guy who already who already cleaned his clock you know i mean the guy is i mean the guy's gonna talk right he got his jaw broken sewn shut and he's still talking so it's not like it's not like you're, you're ever gonna shut him up so i guess the question is did he steer himself into a a direction where there's a because in this in this political climate where people are going extreme left and extreme right did he steer himself in a direction where people who are voting for trump no matter what um are going to support him and people on the extreme left you know that are that that 
maybe even you know if you don't support BLM as a as an organization or lack thereof, you support BLM as an idea. So do you think he's cre- he's helped Trump hijack um, mixed martial arts? Trump is already well, look. Trump's already hijacked football. All right, years ago. Sorry, please. The floor is yours. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. So the cancel culture is one thing that that we deal with, and and everybody wants that they want Dana White to do something about Colby Covington, but there's not much you can do because this is prize fighting. This is professional prize fighting. And how do you get to be where you are? Well, you create some heat. And if you're a rest, if you're an old school wrestling fan, or if you're a new school wrestling fan, um, I can remember when the black guys never won the belt. Kobe, Kofi Kingston won the belt this year for the first time. They had plenty of black people in, in the organization that never won a belt. Yep. They had a black man running around like a Ugandan giant. They had they had um, a Coco Beware. They had um, they had some really yeah. horrific yes. caricatures of black people. Yep. So and now we're yeah, jobber like SD delivery. Jones. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, special delivery Jones. You know, um, junkyard the junkyard dog walking around with a chain around his neck. <laughs> so there's there is horrific imagery of of wrestling, but it's all a show, right? So we 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 give him we give him a, we give him a pass, so to speak. But this is prize fighting, and in this climate, Colby Covington just made himself public enemy number one in MMA. Yeah. And he's not apologetic for it. To tell you the truth, he's from Oregon. He he is probably more um, liberal leaning than anybody would ever know because no, he's never taught. He's playing a persona. And that's what he is. The Huntington Beach bad boy was another persona that everybody, oh, oh, look at him. He's, he's Mexican. He's, He's Mexican and American. He yeah. he's got both flags, and he's the guy, you know. Yeah, that's how, that's, but that's how Tito punches ticket. Yep. Mm-hmm. And people forget all of this stuff. The Ice Man. All this stuff happened because that's who they were. And let's be honest, nobody cares if you're a wrestler, because remember, Colby Covington was almost out of the organization. Agreed. And then he went. Then all of a sudden, he started wearing these these suits with no shirt and he got the hat and he got himself on the road to the tie to, to main events. Yeah. You, you don't see people forget <laughs> that stuff. So he just took a heel turn. That's all this is. He just took a heel turn and we can't cancel him for getting more money than yeah. us. We could be jealous. That's all we can be. Yeah, we're not out there fighting. We're not in the cage fighting. And he's beating people. He is beating people. You know, so he's calling people street Judas and and fake newsmen. Brazil, but he's really but not, Brazilian he, fans, you know, filthy animals. <laughs> right, right, right. He's not. He's not really doing. I mean, if we're gonna really get, we're really gonna get upset and want to do it. Don't watch. Just, just stop. This yeah. is not. He's not on. He's not on. Um, the Sunday talk shows. He's not on um, tonight uh, nightly yeah. news on. NBC he's not running for political office, right? He's he's not running for office. This is sport. This is actually it's prize fighting. Yeah, it's not even it's it's sport, but it's prize fighting. We need to separate that as much as possible. 
Um, I like, you know, very well, it, very that's good what point. I'll say. No, very good point. And I'll say it the way I know how to say it. Um, the way I grew up, and Chris Rock had a comedy skit about this, is I don't know about you, but if I'm in an argument with somebody, I'm going to say the one thing that's going to hurt them the most. <laughs> if he's got one leg, <laughs> you know, F you, you one-legged bastard. <laughs> you know, if he's, yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> if he's tall, I hope Bin Laden flies a plane into your lip, you tall bastard. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so, um, you're right there. But, you know, and, and it's, it's crazy because, like you said, culture can't just cancel culture sets up a certain um, rules uh, what some people they, they they believe can't say and other people can right. say again going back to Chris Rock like short people can tease all people tall people all they want right I hate you you're tall you know mother whatever um, but tall people can't tease short people that's just mean right fee fee five fo fum <laughs> right so um, right, right, right. yeah like poor people could, te- could tease rich people oh. I, know. Right? I hope I hope your um I hope I hope your your yacht crashes into an iceberg, you rich bastard, right? But rich people can't yeah. tease poor people. That's just mean. So the reason why it sparked right. so much attention is because he had a level of speech um that's unpopular, which goes to my second yeah. point. My second point is free speech is there to protect unpopular speech too. And and in prize fighting where two guys hate each other, and I mean, they're gonna do a lot worse things than than, than call each other names. <laughs> All right, they're gonna punch each other in the face. They're gonna they're gonna they mm-hmm. might they they can possibly hurt each other permanently. And prize fighting has always been the the exception that rewrites the rule as far as sticks and stones is concerned. So I gotta co-sign with you on that one. And like you said. If they you don't like them, don't watch him. He only fights three times a year. You only got to, you know. But if you want to see him get his ass kicked, <laughs> you know, he gave you a reason. Hmm? You remember when Khan was fighting Khabib and all that stuff about the Muslims and all this stuff and how many mm-hmm. wives you have and all this other stuff. And, and Khabib was just like, keep talking, keep yeah, talking. Makes a note, mental he note. Did, he, he, yeah. Took it out of his, took he, it out of his behind. Took it out, took it out on his behind, made a mental note. And Masvidal said it best. And I know we got to wind down at some point. I know we were at this for a long time. But Masvidal said it best. Masvidal said, look, you know, sometimes people think it's okay to talk about your your wife and talk about your religion. You know, like um, when people say these things, that's okay, but it's not okay. When you, you, you know, when you run into one of those, those, those mofos that don't play that. And they put a little mm-hmm. extra sauce on it at the end. All of it, you know, I mean, because they asked him, like, um, when he knocked out um, Askren, was that was the last shot necessary? He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> it was super necessary, <laughs> you know, right? It was all that other stuff um, that he said and uh, whatever is okay, right? You know, and people hide behind that whole free speech thing, but that doesn't protect you from, from an ass whooping. It protects you from government persecution, <laughs> but it doesn't protect you from other free speech. <laughs> <laughs> right? Laws of the street. Yeah, man. So, uh, last but not least, you are my, my last 12 episodes, you are the eighth African-American <laughs> I oh, had okay. on my podcast. And I wanted, I, I don't know, if it started by coincidence, but now it's emphasis because I want more attention and awareness brought to African-American players, um, okay. African-American coaches, and African-American commentators. And 
to his credit, one of the first ones to step up was Chris Austin. He set for um, uh, UC Irvine, and I, uh, we mm-hmm. talk all the time. And you want to talk about a, a young brother that's all about business? He ain't about all this MMA and frills and chatting and conversation. That dude is all about his his product and his bottom line. Mad respect for him. So, and we mm-hmm. were always cool, but I didn't know he pick up the phone and say yes. So he was the first one, and then Dane called me, just randomly, "Hey Jay, what's up?" And I'm like. Then you want to come on the show? <laughs> He's like, sure. So uh, got him. So got Greg Faulkner, who we all know and love. You see him in nationals all the time for OCC. He's a Cal Northridge guy. Um, I think his freshman year was Jack senior year, uh, middle. Uh, got um, who else? Uh, Fallon Fanoi Moana, right? She's okay. half black, half Simone, so she identifies. So, so my question is, and um, my hand's not forced, but it's a question of convenience. In this political climate, what is your stance on Black Lives Matter as an idea in contrast and comparison to um, the movement? The The reason why I'm asking this way is because there are a lot of uh, protests that turn out violent. And some people, some people say, oh, it's Black Lives Matter because they're carrying a banner, which I don't always subscribe to, right? What, they throw up a BLM sign or something, you idiot. Um, so what, is, what are your thoughts, Black Lives Matter, in contrast and comparison from the idea to the movement? Is it pretty much the same? No, it's not the same at all. Um, it's not at all. I mean, if you've ever read the, gone to, gone to the website and read their, read their, uh, Spread their product, what they what they stand for, and what they what they believe in. A lot of those things are are not something that I particularly subscribe to. So when when you say Black Lives Matter, I'm just saying that my life matters. I'm not saying that I believe in everything that they are, and and, the, and sometimes the message gets lost with all of this. I mean, we saw this message get lost um with colin kaepernick um he started to know your rights camp and 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 i don't want the message to get lost which my message simply is is that my life matters i don't think that i need to i know that i have to act a different way because that's just how life is if i put my hood up i'm just another black man with a hoodie if 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 i if i if i do anything if i sometimes if i'm dressed a different way a certain way i'll get more respect that's not how things should be but that's how things are for people who are black or african-american or west indian american or what have you so we've had many talks about this and i i will say this succinctly i believe in certain things that is on that on their platform but all of their things I cannot abide by. So I've got my own issues that I have to deal with in my own community. And I think that's where I have to leave it. It's like, I have to deal with my stuff. I have to deal with my stuff and I have to deal with my family and making sure that they're safe as opposed to what, whatever is on that platform. So that's pretty much it for me in, in that regard. And it's, and, it, and I have friends who are cops, as, as I'm sure you, you have, you have, you, you know, some NYPD. Yep. You probably know some NY fire, you know, some fire department people. Um, I know, I know those people. I played bass. I played in more. I've 
we play in an underrepresented sport, right? So we already know that we are, there's not a lot of people like us in the gym or in the coaching ranks or as mentors or anything like that. So we have to kind of cultivate our own way through this. Um, so to that end, I make sure that I cultivate, I make sure that if I talk to somebody about anything with the sport, we, we, I do it with respect to the sport and respect to them. Um, but I was also a high school swimmer. I swam in Brooklyn Tech. So I was always in a different spot. I was always in a different spot. You went to Brooklyn so, Tech? Cool, man. Yeah, I'm a tech, I'm a tech guy. So it, it's, I'm a tech knight, rather. So it's one of those things where I do not identify with the movement. I identify with the cause. But we, we, know, for, we know for a fact that other people or many causes in the past have been subverted by other things. It's just, it's, it's not conspiracy. It's not, it's not, oh, Carl's making stuff up. I'm like, no, it's just truth. It's just truth. So. Very well said. I co-sign on what you said on, on a whole bunch of levels in a sense that I think, um, um, I believe change can happens collectively. There's no one person that does it, but I think collective change starts on a small scale first. I think when you go from zero to 60 and just try to go from here all the way to this big scale and not everybody has the same, the same mindset or the same mission, then you're going to have one name, like one name, but like six different directions and everybody's like, oh, I thought, you know, like BLM, I thought they're this or I thought they're that. And then, and I think that's where, the, the movement became so big so fast. Um, you got people that make rationalizations and you got people that say they should be held accountable. And I think the truth is, the truth is on one side of the, or, or somewhere in the middle. Whose side of the middle? I'm always going to lead more towards BLM because the idea that black lives matter and that the unfair incarceration and, and treatment of black people should always be the common denominator. This is not, uh, something on a small scale. This is not like some people, one of my friends is like, out of all the problems we got going on, this is not, this is not a big deal. And I said, it is not a big deal to people who are not affected by it. My friend was white and I'm like, I'm like, dude, you're white. So I don't blame you for saying that because it's not a big deal to you because you're in an environment where you, I'm not going to use the word, no, I'll use the word white privilege. Fuck it. Um, you're in an environment where it doesn't affect you. So of course it's on a small scale. But to, yeah. to some people who have to live it every day, you know, just coming home from a party, you know, you get lit up by the police. You just want to make sure they see your hands, you know, um, which is what I want people to understand before I go. The definition of white privilege, which is the reason why there's such an argument about it is because, Carl, there's a misconception. Like if I talk to Casey Jennings or I talk to my friend Kathy or whatever, if they think white privilege is about uh, um, they didn't work as hard, of course, it's going to be blowback, right? Like if you're a white guy mm -hmm. and if you think white privilege is like, oh, you, you, you're trying to say I didn't earn everything I got. I didn't earn every penny I worked for. I worked, uh, you know me for 25 years. I earned every buck. Um, that's not what I'm talking about when I say white privilege. White privilege is about you going to work and just coming home from work without getting shot. White privilege is about you being able to carry a book bag from school and the cops don't stop you and say that book bag was stolen. Right. And then uh, and, you know, where I'm going to with this. Right. The, they, that kid, um, Jay-Z did an awesome documentary on it. This kid gets hauled off to jail for allegedly stealing a book bag. And they say, if you admit you did it, we'll let you go. 
which is why a lot of people have criminal records. And then, of course, when someone gets shot in the back, they're like, oh, we had a criminal record, but you don't want to delve into that. You know, and you sure as hell don't want to delve into the cop's past. Right. Uh, you know, whether no. he had whatever. So this kid I'm talking about, he could have just owned up and went home, but he didn't want to do it. So he didn't do it. He couldn't afford the bail. His mom couldn't afford the bail. And for everybody listening, guys, and I'm going to give you the story in a minute. God, I, his name, I'm so angry sometimes I forget people's names. But he served, he was in jail three years without a trial in Rikers Island, 16 years old, 15 going on 16 years old, in jail for three years. And the district attorney's office filed a motion for continuance. And basically, it was their way of saying, like, oh, if you don't want to play ball with us, we're going to keep you in here until your trial comes. And the only reason why he got out is the docket somehow wound up on the judge's desk and the judge is like, wait a second. Pre-trial, pre-trial confinement. What? Three years? Get him out, right? He got out. A year later, he kills himself. He commits suicide. Because when you're in, when you're in I, don't, I won't call Rikers a gladiator academy, but it's, um, no, I will. I've been there. I've been there. I was with a church movement where I used to go there every Sunday called the prison ministries where we would, every Sunday morning, we would talk to prisoners about sports. You want to talk about Jesus? Let's talk about Jesus. You want to talk about why the hell you got here and, and why it's not a good idea? <laughs> Let's talk about that. So, so I've been a Brooklyn house of detention a lot of times and I've been a Rikers Island a lot of times. So, but the thing I'm trying to point out for this BLM or whatever is it, if it doesn't, if, if you don't think it's a big deal, you really, really need to get around to talking to, talking to some of your black friends, all right? That 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 don't enjoy the same privilege as you. And that was that was the way I wanted to end that. The only the other thing is that this is a lot different than the other movements that we've had in the past, where there's been a central figure or a central organization doing everything. So, in the past, our parents, my parents' generation, um, Martin Luther King, Jesse, young Jesse Jackson. Stokely Carmichael, all those people were doing something, but now there isn't. There are no. Who is the singular person that you 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 align yourself with this movement of of this Black Lives Matter? Well, since you don't have anybody, you just look at these these two people or three people who started this Black Lives Movement Matter, and then you can't you can't talk to um, you can't Colin Kaepernick. No, no, no. He's already he's already been disparaged. So there is no one. So right now, it's kind of a shift that's rudderless, and you've got you've got all these things going on, and no one can. There's not there's not one there's not one safe passage. There's no work for safe passage on this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll end it like that because the whole purpose of the podcast is to provoke thought, and if anyone wants to take wants to take the ship from there, you're more than welcome to to. to 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 color to commentate on this, it's gonna be on iTunes, Spotify, be be up later on my Facebook profile and, and my YouTube handle NY Varsity Sports. Um, Carl Franz, NYU. Anyone want to know any know more about NYU volleyball? Is there a particular site or a place they can reach you? Questions about the sport? Um, yeah, I think the easiest way to to know about the, the uh, how we do in our, our team is is um, is go NYU Athletics. Um, is the easiest way to do that. And if they want to find me, my Twitter is uh, my name, Carl France, Carl with the K, France like the country. Yep. And they can just they can just do that. Um, and I'm 
they can interact with me there. They can follow. They can because I talk about a lot of things, and it's not just volleyball. It's not just MMA. It's not just. Uh, it's a whole host of things, and, and and basically because I think what the the conversations that we can have are going to be great. Um, the conversations that we do have are great, and uh, I thank you for allowing me to have this conversation with you. It's it's been a pleasure. Pleasure's all mine, guys. For everybody listening at home, Carl Franz might love you, but I had enough of you, all right? So for all of you at home, for all of you on your iPad at Starbucks, for all of you on your iPhone waiting to get some food but couldn't resist, they're going to listen to this. For Carl Franz, NYU Zone, I'm Jason DeBiss. This is episode 57, and we both say we're out. Come check out the Option Podcast on optiondb.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.